But Tara, you love Jeopardy, right? I do love Jeopardy. Would you want to be on Jeopardy? Yes, but Wheel of Fortune is the top of my game show host thing that I'm not really a host that I want to be on because I grew up watching it with my grandmother and I still watch it to this day with my boys. And it's our thing every night that we do that together. So Wheel of Fortune has my heart right now. That's awesome. Love that. Matthew, if you had to be on a game show, what would it be? I'd not prepped fully. Um, <laughs> Wheel of Fortune's good. Uh, Jeopardy would be fun, but I think Jeopardy's one of those ones where and the second you get up there, you'd forget half the things you know. <laughs> um, you so know. I don't know which ones I'd be good at, but the idea of doing um, like the the Amazing Race has always been seemed really fun. So yeah, I like it. I like it, Todd. Family Feud. It'd be my opportunity for my stand-up routine. You took mine. You would be in the same team because that was going to be mine. So true. Coming yeah. soon to a podcast near you, Family Feud, CID edition. It'll be marketing versus security. We'll be great. It'll be great. What about you, Nate? Um, I totally agree with Matthew of The Amazing Race. Um so I watched the first season and I really enjoyed how those ones were so drawn out. You know, they didn't keep everyone right next to each other. Um, marketing did ask, which one do I think I could win uh, mm. ahead of this? And I did say The Bachelor because I'd be the only guy making it to the end. Uh, although I would not want to be on the show. So. <laughs> uh, I know I'm stepping back in. But and I, I am married. You've, so. <laughs> you've just reminded me um, there's a... A game show, I suppose you call it a game show. I watch called Um Actually, uh, that you can find a couple episodes of on YouTube. Uh, that is basically just uh nerd stuff. Uh, that is incredibly fun if you're uh into that. Um, that I think I would have a lot of fun playing. <laughs> That's awesome. Now that everybody stopped listening to podcasts to go on YouTube, pause that for a second. Come back to the podcast. <laughs> that sounds awesome. What about you, Ariel? That's great. Um. Oh, I don't know. I, I don't know which one I would win, but I think I always wanted to try. Is it a game show that like Ninja Warrior? I just think that that's cool. I just want to climb on all that stuff. I would be out immediately, though. <laughs> I would not make it far. <laughs> just the experience. It. Make it past like the first thing fall in the water and you did it. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Mm-hmm. Yes. Oh, man. Nice. Kelsey, you answered yours already, right? I you did, guys are going yeah, on Family I, Feud. Yeah, I piggybacked here. I was already did like lead up to it, and then I was like, "Well, Todd took it, so." Well, that's it. It's over. It's over. <laughs> but I agree with you, <laughs> Ariel. I think that'd be really fun to do, like Ninja Warrior. Right? And then I'm uh, sometimes when I'm watching that, uh, my partner will I'll be like, "Oh, I think I could do that one," and my <laughs> partner has to remind me that it's been a long time since I did rock climbing of any significance. The one that would get me is the pull-up bar where you have to oh, like jump. The salmon, the salmon one. one. Yeah, the yes. salmon one. That one oh. I would be done on. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They should just so let us fun. skip some. Like, just let me try out some of them in, <laughs> yeah. in a different order, and maybe I could I could get through one or two. There is no participation trophy here, so... Yeah. Falling in the water feels like that's the participation trophy. <laughs> yeah. Love it. Awesome. Well, I guess 
Speaking, uh, you know, of uh, uh, humans' shortcomings is a little bit what we're going to talk about today. But uh, today on our Tech for Business podcast, uh, <laughs> Kelsey Terry and myself, and thank you, um, <laughs> are joined by our Todd, our COO and CISO, Nate, our Director of Cybersecurity, and Matthew, our BCSO. And today we're posing the question, do we trust deep learning too much? And I know before the podcast, Nate was kind of talking a little bit about what that is. And I think we're going to start there is what is deep learning? And I don't know if you could give us maybe an example so we can kind of connect it into the real world a little bit more. But what is it? Yeah, so I, I promise I won't go too technical, um, but it's a subset of artificial intelligence, a subset of machine learning. It's just um, a very unique algorithms that traditional machine learning models couldn't address. Um, And so uh, there's a a great YouTuber. He's the best speaker I've ever seen in person. Uh, I highly recommend looking him up at some point, but uh, Tanmay Bakshi, he has a YouTube channel, Tanmay Teaches. He's been all around the world speaking on uh, machine learning. He's 19 years old, phenomenal, uh, wildly smart guy. Um, anyways, he has a lot of stuff where, and the last time I saw him in person, he said, artificial intelligence is a user experience, right? It's kind of what we perceive is these machines seem intelligent, right? And then machine learning is the the mathematics and algorithms that go beneath that. And then deep learning is a method of machine learning that says there's new algorithms to build relationships between databases or data that you wouldn't typically have mathematical math equations between the two. So it can make better, more accurate predictions. And then that's where we start to see this really start coming into uh, the fruition of new technologies and uh, the, fr- the fruition of new um, methodologies to better predict really the outcome of whatever we're trying to evaluate. It could be cybersecurity, healthcare, you know, whatever it is, but um, it's just a newer approach to it, right? And it's using just different algorithms. So I was. Uh talking with someone the other day about um, analogies to kind of get through all three. And, and I like your like user experience um, description of, of how we interact with them. But in terms of like trying to visualize what this really looks like, um, for me at least, AI is the ability for, for a, a machine to you know solve long division without us having to do anything. Machine learning, is it learning how to, min- uh, like when to, do those equations versus other equations. And then deep learning is knowing how to manipulate the equations so well that it can solve other problems with that initial bit of information. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's things that we kind of do, expanded um, schemas is kind of how it works for us. We have plans and how we do things, and then sometimes something breaks that, and so we have to work on the fly. Computers obviously can't do that. Um, deep learning is about giving it enough data that it can do that to an extent um, with some calculations and everything else that go into that. Yeah, Uh, 
So I'm just going to quick reference that Tanmay Bakshi one more time, uh, and then I'm done, <laughs> I promise. But one of the illustrations that he gave was machine learning is taking the defined mathematical models and saying, here's how we would calculate the difference between a dog and a cat, right? We can't really do that today. Deep learning is going to try and figure that out, saying what similarities, what math can we put in place to calculate how similar these two are, right? Uh, and we just input the different characteristics of it, and it starts building all that data together. Um, we didn't have to teach it that. Very oversimplified, I promise. <laughs> yeah, there might be some uh, some deep learning engineers that, who are raging a little bit at our uh, <laughs> simplifications here. But considering we're only seeing the outputs of them, we're not actually getting in there and coding it. I feel it's fair. Um, <laughs> we also have a lot of things that work in that machine learning side of things that, that are, are very prominent in cybersecurity, such as uh, a lot of EDR software runs at that machine learning level and they're working on how to tie it into that uh, deep learning side of things. Um, one thing I want to mention, um, just because it's, I like to uh, point to negatives directly, uh, <laughs> is, is a problem that we see all the time in tech. Um, and it's not so much a problem as it is a, a form of I don't want to say ignorance because uh, that seems a little too harsh, um, but it is just a lack of awareness really around um, where our failings are. Um, so the whole point of deep learning is that we're feeding it data. We're feeding it data that we have so that it can learn new things and make decisions based on that data. Um, and one of the one of the best bits of information as a reminder of this that I learned while going through uh, my degree um, was about uh, research that was done on on rodents. And basically, it, this is published in, in 2014, early 2014. And they found that basically whenever um, men are working with uh, rodents during uh, psychological studies, their stress levels are really high. And we only found this out after the more women joined the field and, and worked uh, were working in the research side of things. And a, a all woman uh, research team was trying to recreate some of the studies that had been done in the 60s and 70s and found that they were having far lower um, stress levels and they were releasing different chemicals while um, those <laughs> studies were being done. Uh, and so we found that there is basically an entirely different reaction and in some cases completely different results to entire experiments based around who was involved in the study. Now, how this ties in for me is that up until that study came out and up until that was found, the entire belief was that rodents were kind of stressed out the whole time and we were just accepting that as, <laughs> as part of what happened. Um, and it turns out that it, it wasn't. So the deep learning that went into all of the, you know, to follow those analogies, the way we were calculating the equation in our own deep learning and how we were doing our studies was wrong, or at least biased, heavily biased. Um, and the same type of thing can and probably will and probably already is happening with the deep learning that's in use. Uh, so we want to take all of this with that in mind, keep in mind that there is a lot of things we we need to be aware of and try not to trust any of this as 
uh, gospel, I suppose, for lack of a better word. Um, we are still letting the computers make decisions based on information we're giving them, and we don't have all the information yet. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'll ex I wanted to expand on that a little bit too, because I think there's a lot of different biases that go into it. And I think Matthew's point at the very, very beginning is, quite frankly, we don't know what we don't know. And so as we're trying our experiments, we're kind of learning as we go. I mean, there was an example um, very similar to the the one that Matthew gave where uh, I believe Amazon created an AI program to help with their interviewing process. And, and they didn't get too terribly far into it before they realized that there was a heavy bias towards males just due to the way that they were asking questions. And, and it, it reminded me of another one where sometimes people do this in their normal communications, right? You may say something like you guys, where you think it's all encompassing, but but that's actually, you excluded half the people that are on this podcast just by saying you guys, when the intent was supposed to be everybody, you all, right? It should have been you all. And it just happens across the board. And it's not necessarily intended to be that way, Maybe it was, maybe it wasn't. We grew up with a lot of those kinds of biases in our lives, but it, it is something that's becoming very, very prevalent. Another one that's really interesting to me as well is how you can get some of that just based on location. So for example, if we ran an experiment in Alaska, Matthew may come up with some great examples of how things are going, but it may not apply to somebody in Kentucky. They may be in a totally different world just because of their locations. And so, again, not really fully understanding how we're gathering that data and how it may impact something three, four steps down the line will drastically impact the results of these types of tools. So I think when we were talking about this at the beginning is, do we rely on this too much? Maybe, although I think it's still a real, a relatively early, but just to be aware of the context of what it looks like when those kinds of things are happening. And again, I don't think that the intent originally was designed to be bad or negative. It just happened because we're humans and we're fallible. Yeah, Matthew, you had mentioned the 2014 study on the mice. Todd, you carried on about the inherent human biases, even today, right, with the communication that we have. Um, there's actually, and then kind of bringing tech back into it, I wanted to mention, you know, back in 2019, there was a report that NIST, the uh, National Institute of Standards and Technology, which is a U.S. government uh, agency, uh, they put out a report because these organizations were trying to sell um, facial recognition software to the federal government. And what you know, MIT and NIST ended up doing was they anal or analyzed all this data and said there are inherent biases based off of this facial recognition software because it's doing a better job recognizing white males compared to people in other minority classes, you know, children, elderly, people of color, women, you know, anything like that. Uh, and so I don't know if women would be included because uh, uh, you guys make up 50% of the population too. But uh, anyways, there were inherent biases in the data set because that was the training model that was typically used to develop the software. And we've seen that perpetuate a little bit. However, at least we are seeing that the biases are becoming a front and center consideration as they start to develop new software. It's not perfect yet, but you know, Matthew, yours started all the way back in the 60s and 70s with just the raw science, and now it's taken all this time, and it's really becoming um, apparent that bias in our development has to be a core consideration. 
Yeah. Yeah. One of the things I'll throw on there in addition to is it is a real problem, right? And I think that that problem is going to get worse before it gets better. And and as we touched on, there's all kinds of reasons. It may be a non-diverse group that's pulling the information together. You name it. There, there's all kinds of issues with it. But I will say, and we can share this link out too, is there's actually already an, an open source tool set out there that's called the AI Fairness Tool. I think it's open eye AI fairness 360 or something like that. We can share the link, but it's designed to kind of try and go back in time and try to peel back some of those biases from the tool sets. Um, when I was kind of getting into the geographical stuff, we, we kind of at the beginning kind of talked about tools and how they impact what we're doing today. And in cybersecurity, there's a lot of AI coming, whether that's deep learning, machine learning, combination of all three, it's coming. Matthew mentioned it right out the outshoot that you're seeing it in EDR. There are some very high-end tools that are out there that say very heavily, we are AI-based, right? And you can see that it's not too terribly far into the future. It's happening already that you're going to see AI attacking and AI defending. And when that's the case, you could have some of those biases concerns like is it a nation state someone from korea is attacking in this way therefore it might automatically be them absolutely and you may get false positives from kind of that that type of stuff that's going on so from a cybersecurity perspective the biases are important maybe not the most important um i think my takeaway from that and i, I might be going a little far a few a field at the moment but um one of my takeaways of that is while these tools are great you can't use the tool and depend on it wholly you're going to need that human being on the back end exactly I, go ahead matthew there's a um very specific language you'll find if you are researching edr software and and a lot of them will say machine learning they will not say uh, deep learning, um, but they'll also say supervised or unsupervised uh, machine learning. And part of that is when we are tracking threats, when we are tracking behavior, there are so many things that we are as humans are, from a computer perspective, uh, inherently chaotic. <laughs> we may do the same thing a hundred thousand times and then will randomly go, you know, maybe that wasn't the best way to do it and just start doing it differently. And from the computer's perspective, that doesn't make any sense. Um, so the machine learning side of things, they track that. They say, actually, this is just someone doing something new for reasons that we don't know about. Um, we spend a lot of time on those biases, but that's because that's what ties into all of this. We're feeding it data, we're feeding it long language, and the people there helping with that supervised machine learning are doing the same thing they're clicking these buttons they're saying yeah that's normal that's not normal let's try and find this um where deep learning really kicks in is when computers are acting autonomously um kind of like what nate was uh, nate and todd mentioned there which is if it's doing its own research and it's trying to make its own actions deep learning is the way to track a machine doing its uh, doing something strangely rather than a person doing something strangely. Um, we're creating systems where they're having to check on themselves, uh, which, you know, has its own problems. Uh, we're just creating Skynet at this point, aren't we? Um, <laughs> but <laughs> that, those types of items and then how we, we look at it, deep learning is a specific thing where it's running itself and it's checking for itself. It's learning on its own items that from data that are being fed to it. Um, and as these become more and more integrated into tools that we use, whether it's network scanning, whether it's anything else, we're going to start seeing times when a false positive 
maybe knocks someone out of a system. Maybe someone, you know, maybe the CEO is is traveling and signs into the wrong spot. And so the system fully locks them out. Um, there are things to keep in mind for that as well. You know, are you and is your system and your SOC team prepared and ready to handle if a deep learning change resulted in the entire system deciding something was bad that had previously been good? Yeah, I. So, Matthew, you and Todd have both mentioned false positives already. Mm -hmm. um, and while you guys were talking, uh, and I'll, I'll, I promise marketing team that I'll, I'll give you a chance to ask questions here shortly. Um, I tend to be, I, I tend to be a glass <laughs> half full kind of person most of the time, right? Is I embrace the AI, the machine learning, the, the deep learning, you know, all that kind of stuff. So do I think we trust it too much? Uh, kind of, I'll summarize my opinion very early into the podcast, um, is, Yes, I do, but I still want to embrace it because the technology is phenomenal, um, right? And so, it, but there are careful considerations, which we've been talking about, um, but kind of getting back to the false positive versus um, that you guys have both mentioned, I also want to mention false negative. So for those that aren't familiar with it, we have false positive is something has flagged an alert, but it was falsely correlated, right? You know, maybe it wasn't something malicious that it thought was malicious. The more dangerous one is false negative, right? Is saying that I thought something was legitimate or non-malicious and it let it through. Um, and so when we start talking about, do we trust deep learning or AI or machine learning too much? Those are the considerations that I do want to have at least people aware of or, you know, vendors that are developing this software being aware of saying as the tools are trying to learn this stuff, we have seen cases where um, false positives are common, right? Everyone wants to try and be as restrictive as possible. So those are very, very frequent, right? So maybe there's two anomalous activities that are miscorrelated that look malicious together. But there are two independent events. But the more dangerous one is that there's two independent malicious things happening, or maybe just one that slips under the radar that doesn't quite seem malicious, but maybe it's a precursor to a larger attack. Um, and so that's where I guess I'm, I'm still glass half full. Um, but we have seen cases, even here at CIT, as we're monitoring customer networks, that both could come into play. But that's where, Todd, you had mentioned the human element still has to come into play to give that deeper review to confirm the potential inherent bias that the human put in into the first place. Yeah, I agree. I mean, for, for what it's worth, and I think we've talked about this in previous podcasts too, is I think we're all tech nerds and we love the technology. And I, I think it's a game changer, right? I mean, it, it absolutely has massive, massive upside. Um, am I concerned about Skynet? 100%. Um, am I concerned it's happening today or tomorrow? And no, absolutely not. Um, I, I do tend to fall into the Nate category too, as I, I think there's a lot more good than than bad. But I do think that when I'm bringing up the cautionary things that are coming up in it is, in my opinion, is 
It means that there's a reason to pay attention. There are concerns there. You still need, you can't just flip it on and go, oh, we're all good. We've got this magical computer taking care of us now. There are things that you need to watch. You need to continue to see how it's evolving, what's changing in the industry, et cetera, et cetera. So from that perspective, I think that that awareness helps you with the risk categorization, if that makes sense. There are risks associated with it. It's doing a nice job, but it is not uh, infallible, just like the data that we fed it. I, I promise marketing. Like, yeah, I was going to say, you promised, and then I was like, dang, we got to have questions ready. No, <laughs> Todd ruined that one. Talk. Nope, Todd took over. I promised mm -hmm. you. Yeah, that's okay. We let Todd talk. But I did have kind of a <laughs> tangent question of, okay, so we've mentioned EDR. In the sake of that, right, CIT is a tech provider. We work with other businesses. We install these tools. We monitor it. In that case, how would you know if your tech provider is trusting deep learning too much when you're not the person necessarily being that first line looking at the tool? Ask. Um, <laughs> like, <laughs> uh, I, I mean, I'm more than happy to to answer those questions when they come through. Um, and and we do get them sometimes. We do have, you know, there's there's due diligence questions that come through in a lot of the compliance stuff I'm looking at. And so, not afraid of it. Right. Uh, any any tech company, in my opinion, that's worth their salt isn't going to get upset or push back when you ask questions about their process. Um, on top of that, uh, fully support full vulnerability scans or, uh, you know, penetration testing that can be done by third parties to find out where things are going on. And this is just part of that due diligence of. We are doing our due diligence. We're looking into it, we're testing it, we're, we're finding that level that works for us. So if you ask us about it, we'll have an answer. Yeah. My first step would be to ask them if they have a podcast called <laughs> Do You Trust Deep Learning Too Much? Um, <laughs> so yeah, I, I would I would kind of add on to that. I would say that you really should ask. I think it's not as simple as saying do you or don't you, because a lot of the tech companies out there are actually outsourcing a lot of their security. And so they may not have a security team on board. They may just send it to somebody else. And so depending on how that question goes is who's handling that for you? Is it is it a people on your team? To me, that it does have some importance. Now, we do have it on our team, so that that probably again, going into the bias, that probably biases me specifically, but I feel like our customers turn to us very specifically and say, you tell me, I, I this is not my field of expertise. I need you to tell me, like I'd go to a lawyer, right? I'm going to go, hey, you're my lawyer. You can't just lob that back to me and say, I'm not going to answer your question or, or I'll answer it with another question. I'm coming to you because you're my expert. And I think that's what our customers are doing. So having that on staff IT person or security individual is incredibly important. So that's how I would find out the answer to that question. Yep. Yeah. And you know, I I had mentioned that I'm a glass half full. I embrace that technology. I am still very hesitant of it. Uh, we have tools that are deep into the machine learning here at CIT to try and better detect threats within our environment. We've got layers on layers on layers of um, tech to try and identify security threats here. Even then, I don't trust the vendors that start claiming AI, you know, they're going to solve all the issues. We're a one-stop shop. Um, Security is all about the multi-layered approach. 
Um, and it's one of the things where even though I do trust it so or sorry, I don't trust it. I, I, I just said that earlier. Even though I embrace it so much, it's still one of the things where if someone claims that their tool can stop either 100% of all threats out there, I don't trust it. And as your technology provider trying to educate, come ask us and we'll tell you, you know, where are the potential pitfalls of a solution and where should you fill in with another solution to accommodate that next threat, right? Yeah. So again, it's like all the, about the layers. Yeah. I like the analogy. You can't put the genie back in the bottle just because you don't want the wishes, right? Um, this uh, These products are out there and they have a lot of the ones that, you know, OpenAI uh, has a very easy to use interface. Uh, people are going to use it. You can't put it away. So let's find ways to figure out how to introduce it safely. Um, come up with with ways that you can have your organization either implement or specifically say do not implement parts of what it does. Um, but it's out there, and so we need to be aware, and in, you, we need to be thinking about it. Uh, it's going to keep happening. There's going to be things that come out, and there are things that come out like this for us regularly. Uh, staying on top of these things is literally the job uh, so <laughs> it's as fun as it is sometimes to use these tools um there are things that i use for home that i would never use for work and and making that distinction and having those conversations is a critical part of doing your due diligence yeah i think part of doing your own due diligence as well is run the tool through its paces if you get a mm -hmm. proof of concept on something try and break it <laughs> Try yep. and figure out how you can bypass it. Um, you know, I when we've taken a look at plenty of security solutions over the years, and whenever I get a new one, I say, here's some common attack paths. And by the way, your tool didn't account for that. Your tool didn't account for that. Your tool didn't account for that. And then eventually we find one that's, wow, this is a very phenomenal tool. Um, otherwise, you know, if you're talking about EDR, you know, that's just one topic. There's plenty of security solutions out there. Taking a look at unbiased third-party testing solutions. So, you know, we've talked EDR many, many times in the past. Go take a look at the MITRE Ingenuity test results. Uh, you know, it's unbiased. They just say, here's the results. Vendors submit their tool. There's no opinions about it. Uh, and then from there, you can formulate your own opinions. But uh, take third-party research into consideration as well. Don't just trust the vendor. And uh, as a kind of final caveat on all this, I want to add, um, remember uh, Richard Serra in the early 70s was talking about television and said, if something is free, you're the product. Please remember that. And don't feed uh, your business critical information into a product that they're giving you for free because there's a good chance they're using that data for something else. This is a nice little paranoid warning to end uh, my part of the podcast. Thank you and good night. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. That that feels like a great little closer, important to, to keep in mind. And um, I want to just echo 
communication is key. Asking, and if you have a question or a concern, whether you're a customer or not, please reach out to us at info at cit-net.com, or you can head out to our website, cit-net.com slash podcast. Uh, Thank you, Todd, Nate, and Matthew for joining us today, and we'll be back next week with an all-new episode.